I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. My guest today is multidisciplinarian Brian Fonville. Brian's an executive at Central National Bank and shares his thoughts on rising interest rates, as well as the various local groups to which he donates his time. But first, it's the word on the street. I'm now joined in studio by Lewis Hunter and Samuel Thomas, co-founders of Deep in the Heart Film Festival. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Thanks for having us. So I know you guys had a friendship that preceded this Deep in the Heart Film Festival, and y'all were guys looking around Waco in 2014, 15, 16, saying, gosh, we need more cinema in this town. How did the idea for starting this festival begin? Well, I'm going to give credit to Lewis, but I'll tell the tale. Um, So we're filmmakers and We've been on the film festival circuit, and we had such a great time on that film festival circuit that one day Lewis was driving around Waco, and he was showing me the Hippodrome Theater, and he says, man, I think I think Waco really needs a film festival, uh, and I think this would be a great, a great venue for it. And so from inspiration to, you know, 2017 when we actually had our first one, uh, that was a good long process of planning out, thinking out different paths of getting there. And, uh, you know, it, that's kind of what got us here was just being filmmakers ourselves and loving the story and enjoying our time on the festival circuit and wanting to bring that to Waco. Yeah, exactly. Like Samuel said, we, we'd seen so many other great communities do this. And we're like, well, you know, there's festivals that happen in Dallas, festivals that happen in Austin. There needs to be a festival that happens in between. It's easy to look at what's happening in larger markets and assume that this thing would translate to Waco. There's a festival in Austin called South by Southwest. <laughs> Therefore, we should be able to have our own version of this in Waco. Not everything translates 100%. What were some of the roadblocks that you guys ran into or things that were surprising to you as you started marketing this festival and putting together the idea for it back in 2016, 17? Well, we knew right away that we couldn't operate the scale that South by Southwest or Tribeca would operate on. But like I said, we were on the festival circuit as well, and we would go to festivals in Hollywood, and we'd also go to festivals in Woodward, Oklahoma, which had a population of 10,000 people. And if we can go to festivals in small communities like Oxford, like uh, Shreveport, then um, there's an analog. You know, the, These things translate down to smaller communities. We just have to engage the community that we have and make it convenient for them to enjoy stories with us yeah you got let's say a little bit of a training too to the community to say hey this is this is something you can expect and not have to have them worry about being on the scale of Tribeca or South by to know that a community festival a community film festival is such a great thing to go to and experience and and it's just fun and entertaining as much as artful the theme for this year's deep in the heart film festival is Waco's made for movies you guys were telling me before we started recording that there is a upswell of interest in movies being made here in Waco specifically. Yeah, totally. We've been excited that you know our film festival has actually been a catalyst for a lot of stuff happening in Waco film-related. We have had every year a locations tour that we partner with the Waco CVB and filmmakers come in and it's very limited. We have a select amount that come out, but they get to see everything that Waco has as far as locations. They get to talk to the CVB, talk about any kind of permitting that's needed or what have you, or lack of permitting and how easy it can be. And then through that and just being here at the festival and filmmakers talking to other filmmakers, we've had at least 
uh, man, three or maybe four um, actual projects start to come and happen. And, and I think we've got one that's going to be shot next year. It's a feature. I know we've got a collaboration from filmmakers that are coming from, they came from one side of the country and another side of the country, and they've been collaborating remotely, and they have plans to shoot in Waco. Yeah, we also have local filmmakers that found locations after being on this tour. They're like, you know, I had an idea for something. And then when we went on the tour, like, oh, this is the location I've been looking oh, for for this yeah. entire time for this. So, yeah, we've been doing this tour for a little while because, I mean, we realize that, hey, production's happening in Austin, production's happening in in, uh, in Dallas. There, There's unlimited production that can happen here in between these two cities, right? So how can we grab these markets and pull them together? And so not only are we doing that with the CVB this year and, and every other year, in addition, this year we're also including the Texas Film Commission and the Texas Media Production Alliance. Mm -hmm. They're coming on the tour with us this year as well so they can speak about how not only can you shoot in Waco, you can shoot in Texas and get an even broader view, broader scope of, of production happening here because, I mean, the experts on, on the uh, production grants that the state provides – that, that's the Texas Film Commission. They're coming to town yeah. to be able to speak to this specifically. Yeah. And then our, on our end, we're actually having a contest for our screenplays, which is designed to help facilitate more production happening in Waco. Uh, Lewis, you have much yeah, more detail yeah, yeah. on that than I do. So the, the short version of this is we have a screenplay competition, and this year we're awarding a screenplay grant, which helps a, a filmmaker – uh, make their film by providing them uh, a rebate for shooting locally, and that's including local persons, places, and things. Vision Vehicle Studios is also donating uh, a camera and lighting package, and they're consulting with the filmmaker, and the CBB is providing some hotel rooms for a out-of-town guest to be able to uh, location scout the area. So what we're looking for is great, great story, and then saying, hey, that great story can happen here in Waco. Yeah. Let's help you make it. And hopefully we start creating a pipeline of, hey, if I have a great story, let me submit it to this festival. Let me make it in Waco. Let's make Waco a place that's made for movies. A few years ago in theaters, I saw a film called The Old Man and the Gun mm -hmm. with Robert Redford. And it's the story, a true story of a man who was a bank robber who literally never had a gun with him. Hmm. And he was very handsome and charming. And somehow the bank teller would open up the vault for him. But this started at American Bank, the one that was in Bellmead, mm -hmm. that's no longer mm -hmm. with us, the Round Bank. And then he's peeling down Elm Avenue, mm -hmm. hops mm -hmm. into a different car. And I was so shocked to realize that, gosh, Robert Redford was here in East Waco. Yeah. He was on Elm yeah. Avenue. And exactly. then you start to recognize that there is a real financial component of mm -hmm. making all these films. And from a production perspective, you need to make sure that you're saving what you can so you can spend money on other things. So Lewis, you had mentioned that the Texas Film Commission is here. They're having an eye on Waco. What exactly would someone from TFC be looking for? What are the unique things about Waco that would make this a great place to shoot a movie? So the really unique things about Waco is it's really easy to, to film here. Uh, the only thing that you really need to have a permit for is if you're looking to shut down a city block or anything like that, anything that you need police for. Otherwise, you're able to shoot in your homes, you're able to shoot in uh, public mm -hmm. parks, things like that. So um, that makes it very appealing to filmmakers because, I mean, filmmakers in California, you can't shoot in your own property without a permit. Right. So they want to look at places, hey, where, where, where can we you know, save some money doing this, doing that? Not only that, but we, are, we have a growing number of facilities and persons and things here in Waco um, with uh, new studios coming up hopefully very soon. 
we have a great contingent of crew members that yeah. are building up in Waco. So anyone who's coming to town can look for these things. And the TFC is also looking for, you know, unique locations. Samuel, I know 2022 is primed to be the best version of this festival yet. Give us an idea of some of the selections and how people might be able to participate and watch these. Yeah, definitely. Well, selections uh, range from feature films. We have about four or five feature film blocks, and we have a bunch of short film blocks as well. And so that is um, really a great selection to come in to look and see, and that's all going to be in person, and you can come to the Hippodrome for that. Uh, we got two theaters running with that. And then, of course, uh, if you buy the VIP pass, that's what we recommend as the best uh, option, which will get you not only access to all the films, but also to all the parties and all the educational panels and the screen and the script uh, the screenplay readings as well. And that also gives you free access to uh, after the fact with our online uh, version, our hybrid version, which you can then go to eventive.org and our website there and connect with us and, and watch all the films there that you might have missed. What are you guys streaming right now? Y'all are the film experts, our <laughs> listeners of Downtown Depot. What should they be watching to prepare themselves for this wonderful festival you have coming up? Be honest, I'm not watching anything. I am working on the festival yeah. like, like 24-7 right now. It's it's pretty busy. But, you know, I mean, the good thing is, um, you know, we don't make highbrow. We don't, uh, rather, we don't have coming in highbrow films that are hard to connect with. It's important to us that our community loves a good story, and that's what we're all about. So we always recommend it. Look, if you love a good story, if you like to be entertained, then we are the film festival for you. We are not looking for, you know, French, black and white, film noir, smoking, and nobody can understand them or even figure them out. We're about real stories that connect to real people. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what we want people to know. The Deep in the Heart Film Festival starts July 21st through the 24th here in downtown Waco at the Hippodrome. You can also view these films online July 24th through 30th. Samuel Thomas, Lewis Hunter are the founders. Thank you so much for sharing some of this story with us. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm now joined in studio by Brian Fonville. Brian is an executive at Central National Bank and is also involved with a lot of different organizations in Waco. Welcome to Downtown Depot, Brian. Hey, thank you, Austin. I've seen you. Uh, I've, I've seen over the years your segments, and I just haven't had a chance to be on the show, I guess. Well, I know you're an avid listener. I'm sure it's <laughs> going to be fun for you to send your mom and grandma a link to this. And you were actually just coming over here from a meeting with CASA. That's one of the things you're involved with. Tell us a little bit about CASA and why that's an organization that you chose to give your time and energy. Sure. So I graduated from Baylor back in 2009, and I wanted to be involved initially on. And part of my job, too, at the bank, they wanted to be me to be involved in the community. And so uh, I started out was working with the Hewitt Chamber of Commerce as an ambassador, then on their board. And then once my service there ended, I was really looking for something more meaningful to be a part of. Not that chambers of commerce are not meaningful, but I was looking for something that would have more of a, like a real tangible, you know, impact in the community. And so, uh, which is not to say that chambers don't have tangible impacts. Don't take any of that the wrong way. But uh, I got approached at that time by Lacey McNamee, uh, who was on the board of CASA, and uh, they had a real need. They had broken away recently from the advocacy center and were kind of still trying to get their, their footwork, uh, their, their foundation and, and to grow from there. And it just seemed like a really great opportunity. So for those who don't know, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. They are trained volunteers who 
get appointed by a judge to a child's case who's in the foster care CPS system. And really, they come alongside that child. They learn about the case, and they ultimately make a recommendation in court to the judge about the permanency or where that child gets placed. If they go back to like a grandparent, to their original parents, or if there's some other placement option. And it's a really highly valued role. Like the judge relies on that opinion from that trained volunteer. In our county, there's uh, at any given time, there's I think it's more than 700 children in that system. So there's a real need for CASAs. And to me, that just seemed like a really, the timing kind of worked out. And it also seemed like an alignment of, I guess, of what my values are and what I wanted to be part of. And it's now been, I want to say maybe eight years. I'm a, I've I've used up all of my allotment of serve, you know, however many terms they allow, I'm about to expire, which is a pretty morbid way to say that, I guess, but I'm about to rotate off. That exit does provide other opportunities for you. And it seems to me, at least, like you stay pretty busy. You're involved in this community band in Waco where just last night y'all were playing songs of the composer John Williams. So we're talking scores from E.T., Star Mm -hmm. Wars, Harry Potter, you also call high school football games, oh, I yeah. learned randomly. <laughs> so like, there are so many different ways that you can be spending your time. And of, like I mentioned in the beginning, you are an executive at a bank. I would imagine that itself is a very competitive environment. So how do you determine how to divide your energy amongst all of these really great things that are in your life? I think part of it is I have a hard time saying no. I'm really bad at it. Like this interview? <laughs> yeah. You text, texted me the day before, hey, do you want to come on the show? Sure. Well, whatever. One <laughs> I'll be there. But uh, no, I mean, I mean, part of it is, so I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I do have more free time than a, a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, it's it's a common, like the, the high school football games is an interesting thing. That started as really just, like I grew up watching ESPN Sports Center every morning for like three hours, you know, like if on Saturday, I would watch it over and over and over again. And if you'd asked me at the time, like I would have wanted to have been an ESPN sports anchor, that's not going to happen. But like, this is kind of the closest that I'll ever get to that. And it's a lot of fun. And in the process of doing that, like you really start to kind of care about the players and the team. So I've been calling with Tom Nesbitt, who's an attorney down in Austin. We've been doing the games for Crawford High School these last few postseasons, and that has been, it's been a really enjoyable experience and, and learning about the Crawford community and the school out there and just the quality of, of kids and parents, and it's it's really been special to be part of. And and then the community van deal, I played the trumpet since middle school. I played at Baylor in the marching band, and then as soon as I graduated, I've, I've always played in church orchestra, but I was also looking for another outlet, and uh, the community band has been around since what, 1987 or something like that. And it for a community band, it is a really great group of musicians. There's some, I don't want to dog other communities, but there's some where it's a little hit or miss. But Waco has a really great group, and the concert last night was really special. When you are in a booth and having to extemporaneously dictate to listeners what's happening on the field that is a really high-energy, intense environment. And people are waiting for you to be able to audibly paint a picture for them that they can only listen to on the radio. Mm -hmm. What are some tips or tricks that you've learned from the process of calling these games that have helped in your general communication skills? 
Man, that is not a question I was expecting. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, I have to give a lot of credit to my radio partner, Tom. He does an incredible job of like picking up on details and describing really, you know, things that you don't think about. Or, you know, I guess the best way to look at that is there's so many times where I'm communicating in like a business meeting where I may walk in or the instinct is to walk in with the assumption that everybody in the room already kind of has a baseline understanding. And that's not always the case or that they know the same jargon that, you know, I work on the operation side of the bank and there's a lot of operational lingo. And so I guess, yeah, from when you're calling a high school football game and you're trying to describe what people can't actually see, there is really a, um, there's a, there's a, there's a benefit and a business communication standpoint of thinking through like, I really need to make sure that I build the foundation of what they need to know to be able to make a decision or something along those lines. I don't know if I answered your question, but it's it sounds like what you're saying is the applicable takeaway for others knowing that you're doing this is that one, you need to be reliant on your conversational partner. Mm -hmm. And as you build rapport with them, you can understand when they're going to pause and when you pick up. Yep. And then secondly, yeah, like setting an agenda, letting people know, hey, before this meeting, this is what we're going over. Setting some intentionality, because if people are tuning on the radio dial to listen to you guys, they know exactly what they're coming in for. Right. We saw that the Fed just hiked interest rates up three quarters of a point. What has been different working at Central National Bank? I know you've been there for a while now, so you probably have some perspective. You guys made it through COVID. The bank is still strong. You've got happy customers. When you see these changes in Washington and how that's impacting real day-to-day -day life of people in McLennan County, what should they be aware of? Yeah, I mean, specifically with regards to the rates, you know, you if you look at, if you follow the the home loan rates, they've already jumped since the Fed began raising interest rates earlier in the year, they've already jumped. I forget the exact percentage points, but they've they've increased substantially. I think it's what is it like five something. But so I mean, the cost to somebody who's looking to purchase a home, you know, the the amount of home that they're now able to purchase or to afford has changed significantly. So it has a direct impact. And really, the other thing that it has an impact on is uh, commercial account fees. You know, like billing fees because. The way most commercial checking accounts are structured is they get like an earnings credit that's tied to the 91-day treasury bill rate. And that rate has also gone up as over the course of the last few months. So, you know, there are a lot of moving parts that are involved whenever the Fed changes rates. And it's like everybody else, we're just watching to see how this is going to go, especially as it relates to inflation. Well, you definitely have a good eye on the the financial piece being in banking and being in Central Texas, but another area where you serve is on the Zoning Board of Adjustments for the city of Waco. And so if someone wants to change the the setback for how where their house has to be built, they can come to you guys and they yeah. can ask for a variance. I'm sure you get some wacky requests for, for <laughs> variances anyway, so the job probably isn't the same every single time you go. But can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned from that level of public experience and, and really getting closer to the city and understanding the machinations of how the city of Waco works and how that has impacted your view on development in Waco. Sure. So, you know, when I started on that committee, I you know, I would tell other people I'm on this zoning board and they'd be like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a snooze fest or, you know, like, you know, 
that I was somehow suffering every once a we meet once a month on Thursday nights, and uh, I, I they would always be surprised when I tell them no no it's it is incredibly interesting because for one like you're getting to see really the civic side or like the the citizen involvement side of city local government you know this is a board of five volunteer citizens who have really the sole decision-making authority. The city council cannot reverse a decision of the zoning board. So what we say really is final. And uh, we work in consultation with the staff. The staff will make a recommendation. Most of what we see is someone wants to have like an eight-foot fence. Most people don't know the the ordinance in Waco is you have to have a six-foot fence. Anything higher than that requires a variance. Also, if you want to have safety nets at your golf, your top golf facility, the height of those things also requires a variance, but that's another, that's a, that's a, that's not the usual case. Most of it is fences. And, um, yeah, you know, we have all these kind of legalistic rules based on the ordinance, but the citizens there, I think, at least I see my own role there as accounting for things that the rules can't account for, you know, situations where someone is maybe, there's there's a maybe it doesn't meet the letter of the law in terms of the justification for the height of their fence, but uh, when you take in all the other factors, able to kind of apply some grace and and approve the variance, and it's also it's also been a reminder for me. Sometimes we will see neighborly disputes. You know, anybody can come and speak for or against the application. So sometimes we can see that there's been something building in the background in this neighborhood and it's been a reminder for me that there's of of trying to resolve conflicts before they you know get to some not that i have quarrels with my neighbors but there's probably like even a biblical you know interpretation this could be a sermon illustration which i'm not qualified to give but all of those things together have been interesting and being able to see the the citizen involvement with local government and to be clear, you aren't some zoning wizard or no. city code maven. You are just a person who's representing your district in a voluntary basis on this board. Yes, that's a good point. And anyone you know who is interested, you, you don't you don't even need to think you're qualified. I mean, I started out on the Historic Landmark Preservation Commission. I don't know anything about landmarks. I know a little about history, but not very much. Not qualified to do that. Then I somehow ended up, I guess because I showed up for all the meetings, I got appointed to the Convention Center and Visitors Bureau Advisory Board. Somehow got to be chair of that board. And then from that, I guess I maxed out my time on that and got appointed to the, the zoning board. So I'm just failing upward. <laughs> That's the story of my life, too. I, <laughs> I started off on the Parks and Recreation Board. Then I moved over to the Aviation Board at okay. the airport. And now I'm the chair of the transportation board. And I am interested in all those disciplines yeah. in and of themselves. But I, I do think that zoning is one of those things that for a lot of people feels arcane until you decide, hey, I, I want to put my fence up. And then you realize, gosh, yeah. there really are all of these laws around it. And unless you live in Houston, Texas, where there's no zoning, and you can put <laughs> up any fence you want. There are going to be parameters that you have to yeah. live with. And would you say on the whole that the zoning that the city of Waco has in place is beneficial for Wacoans and for the community at large? I would say so. You know, what I'm seeing at the board is like, you know, things that didn't meet the standard of the requirement. So it may not be fair for me to say like 
the ordinances as themselves. But what I have generally found is that the staff in the planning department are very much interested in making it as accommodating as possible, reasonable within reason, for businesses. And so I, I talked a lot about fences, but we do see, you know, early we get to see things related to commercial development before they actually happen, like the Top Golf example. I mean, um, so what I've seen is that the staff are very willing to to make it work and to be, um, and then, you know, that's the other thing too. Like I didn't realize before I got on this board is like these architects or these people working on these commercial developments, they will drive in for these meetings from like Dallas or Austin or Houston. And this is somebody, you know, they're putting they're putting uh, capital in our community. They're making an investment. And so when I'm on that board, I want to make sure that they have a really good experience coming to the board for their variance request and knowing that we appreciate them showing an interest in our city and wanting to invest here. Brian, you have such a unique perspective because you are on that lending side and also you are so involved in the community itself. So you end up seeing things and knowing about things that are going to happen before they happen. You also have had a unique vantage point being in banking during COVID when a lot of people have had either the best last couple of years or the worst last couple of years of their lives. What's something that is a takeaway from you now that we're kind of on the other side of the crisis part of COVID? What was something that you learned during that period about the Waco community or how you interact with that community that you think is important for listeners to know? This may sound kind of self-aggrandizing is a word, but like, you know, I think during that time, it is going to sound that way, but this is the first thing that popped in my mind. You know, when all of when all of those PPP loans were happening, like it really became, or even before the PPP loans, when, you know, suddenly a business's revenue dropped significantly before the, the relief was there. I mean, I think people saw the value of having a relationship with their local bank. And, you know, that's not specific to Central National Bank. We have other banks in our community, First National Bank of Central Texas, American Bank, Community Bank and Trust, um, I'm going to leave somebody out by doing that. But, I mean, we have a great group of local banks. Waco's very fortunate in that regard. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think we were all just trying to help each other. And that that would be my takeaway is is the recognition of, especially locally, the support from local businesses. And being at a bank, I have that perspective because when when times got hard, you know, our customers were coming to us needing a PPP loan, needing help, needing to maybe delay payment on a loan for a little while until things cleared up. So, What's something that's happening in your personal or professional life this summer or for the coming fall that you're really excited about? This is kind of, so I, uh, I just, I haven't technically joined yet, but I've been approved to join the Fuzzy Friends Rescue Board, which is kind of ironic because I don't even have a dog. Um, but I'm really excited about that. I um, had lunch with Betsy Robinson, who that's kind of her, you know, if you know Betsy, she's a big dog lover, and uh, she kind of sold me. And so I'm excited to join that board. I think I start in the summer, and that'll be, I don't know, a three-year term. But they just had their big Pooches on Parade fundraiser, which have you ever been to that, Austin? Man, you got to go sometime. It is a big deal. They got, uh, it's like a dog fashion show. I was really just imagining, like, if somebody who wasn't, I don't know, who had never seen anything like that, you dropped them into that room, what they would have thought. But it was a really good event, and 
raise some money for a good cause, and I'm excited to join that board. Brian Fonville is an executive at Central National Bank of Texas and is involved with many local nonprofits, including soon-to-be fuzzy friends. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Downtown Depot and sharing some of your story. Thank you, Austin. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Brian Fonville of Central National Bank, Lewis Hunter and Samuel Thomas of Deep in the Heart Film Festival, and you for tuning into episode 129 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News and tune back in on the first Friday of July for another inspiring conversation with a small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek, and you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business.